I suppose it's rather difficult to believe that it's been now two years since Pastor Wood left. And I presume it's been there for two years uh, that we've been working our way through the book of Matthew. And we're now to the final sermon from the book of Matthew. And the message this morning is from that passage there in the 27th chapter, verses 11 through 16. And it's the, the trial, the one of the three that Jesus had before he went to the cross. Let's think for a minute about what his life was like during the last five days of it. You remember that he entered Jerusalem on a colt of a donkey, and the crowd hailed him, Hosanna. They welcomed him. They expected that he indeed was that son of David, that heir to the throne, that he's that one who was going to come now and lead the Jews back into supremacy. Five days later, we find him in that upper room. And it's there in that upper room that he washes the feet of his 12 apostles. And it's there in that upper room that he enjoys the Passover meal with his brothers. And it's there that he institutes this supper that we'll be enjoying this morning. And it's as they left that meal singing that hymn, that psalm, he went into that garden. And you remember what happened in the garden, that garden of Gethsemane. Oh, Father, if there's another way. Oh, Father, if there's another way. Oh, Father. If there's another way, but not my will, let your will be done. And the betrayer comes and the betrayer kisses him. And the armed forces come and they arrest him. We don't know what time of night it is and we don't know what time of morning it was, but but he's now going to be brought before Pilate. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. Matthew 27. And I'll read for us verses 11 through 16. Hear now God's word to us. Now Jesus stood before the governor And the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to me, said to him, You say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, 
Do you not hear how many things these they testify against you? But he answered him, not a word. So that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the, governor's, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. When he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, I have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Now Jesus stood before the governor. Can you imagine how tired Jesus was? Can you imagine how painful this moment in Jesus' life was? And he's brought there before Pilate. Before this governor. This governor whose responsibility it was to maintain peace. There in Jerusalem. This governor who wants to be sure he can demonstrate he is a powerful governor. That he is the ruler 
And he simply asks Jesus the pressing question of the day. Are you the king of the Jews? That question is pregnant with meaning, isn't it? What does it mean to say, are you the king of the Jews? Speaking, you see, to Jewish people, they have to be thinking, is this indeed the Messiah? Is this indeed the son of David? Is this indeed the one that is promised by the Lord God to come and rule over his covenant people? Are you the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate also has to be wrestling with the idea of, if he is the king of the Jews, what does that mean for me? Does that mean that he's going to be used to overthrow me? These kinds of thoughts have to be going on in Pilate's mind. Are you the king of the Jews? And what does Jesus do? You say. Or you've said it. Or that's exactly who I am. You see, Jesus understood that he is indeed the king of the Jews. And he wants more than anything else for the Jews to recognize him as that. For we must confess Jesus is Lord, is king, if indeed we are his children, his brothers and sisters. And to that question, Jesus makes it very clear for all the world to know, yes, I am the king of the Jews. Yes, I am the son of David. Yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the Christ. Yes. He makes it very clear he understands who he is and he wants them to do the same. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. He was taken from prison 
and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living for the trespasses, transgressions of my people. He was stricken. But as that, it's in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Can you imagine how perplexing this was to Pilate? In the Roman courts, you see, it was, it was imperative that the person who's accused has opportunity to defend himself and to bring witnesses to defend himself. And Pilate's hearing these accusations, these accusations, these accusations that the chief priests and the scribes are are bringing. They're they're saying he's he's sought to lead an insurrection. They're saying he's said, you don't have to pay taxes. You don't have to follow Caesar. And, And they say, and he claims to be a king. Jesus remains silent. Have you ever found yourself being accused of things that are truly false? Being accused of things that aren't real about you? What have you done? Sometimes when we become defensive, when we're being accused of things that aren't true of us, what does that do in the mind of the person who's just accused us? Whose mind is already made up that this that I'm saying about you is true. What does it do when we begin to defend ourselves? How many times... Are we tempted to say, ah, I've got you. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb whom God sent to be slain for the sins of the world. And because he is a Lamb, he has to behave as a Lamb when he's now in this trial. And so before his shears, he's mute. Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word. And the governor marvels 
there's a custom. There's a custom that a governor is permitted to offer amnesty for a prisoner. And what does Pilate do? He takes upon himself this opportunity to try, to try to have Jesus set free. And so he says, in our prison, we have Barabbas. He's a notorious prisoner. He's a notorious person. History tells us that he perhaps was a murderer, and he perhaps murdered someone as he was leading an insurrection against the Roman government. Isn't it interesting that the chief priests and the elders have said, Jesus, he's trying to dissuade people against Rome. He's trying to dissuade people from paying taxes to Caesar. He's he's a notorious person with respect to the authority that Rome has. So what does Pilate do? He sets before them a person who actually meets the criteria of the charges they're giving against Jesus. He's in prison for doing what they're saying Jesus did. And the scriptures tell us because of their envy of Jesus. Because the chief priests and the elders envied Jesus. Why would they envy Jesus? He had what they had lost. He had the ears of the Jewish people. He also had the ears of Gentiles. Now think about it. You're a chief priest or you're an elder who is seeking to be orthodox. Who is seeking to keep the Jewish ways kept. And here's this blasphemer. Here's this person who has claimed to be God. Now you're an Orthodox Jew and you're the leader of the Jews and you have to say he deserves to die. He's blaspheming. That's what the word of God said was to happen to a blasphemer. But people were listening to Jesus and they were hearing Jesus speak Not as the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the elders and the chief priests. Jesus was speaking as one with authority. The very thing they hungered for. The use of authority.
And that's exactly what Pilate wants. He wants people to recognize his authority. And we have these religious leaders who are power hungry, and we have this Pilate governor who's power hungry, and here's Jesus. This Lamb of God who is silent. Do you want Barabbas? Or do you want Jesus? We want Barabbas. Has that sunk in? Can you appreciate what's taking place here? We want the one who is guilty. And then they go on to say, let his blood be on us and on our children. These These leaders of the covenant people. These leaders of of the people of God who understood that my child is to be circumcised at day eight. My male. My son. That they would be in the covenant with me and my wife and the people of God. Let his blood be on us and our children. Because they envied Jesus. They were jealous of what Jesus had that they just lost with the coming of Jesus. Pilate's wife, Claudia Procula, has a dream. She sends messengers to her husband. Don't have anything to do with this just man, with this righteous man. I've been tormented in a dream. This Jesus is indeed righteous. This Jesus is indeed just. He is innocent. What's Matthew doing? We need two witnesses to establish the veracity of what's happening, don't we? There are a multitude of so-called witnesses who are, who are declaring all these things that Jesus did that were false. And here we have the witness of the Holy Spirit through Pilate's wife and the witness of Pilate himself We find absolutely nothing wrong with this man. Do you hear us, 
chief priests? Do you hear us, elders? Do you hear us, multitude? But for envy's sake, the chief priests and the elders have convinced the crowd. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And symbolically, Pilate washes his hands. I'm innocent. You have pronounced your desire for his blood to be on you and your children. Crucify him. You see how Isaiah is in the heart and mind of Matthew. As he's seeking to set forth before you and me, before the people of his day, this is that servant of God, that suffering servant of whom the prophets foretold. So Pilate scourges Jesus. And the scriptures, or I'm sorry, the, the commentators tell us, history tells us, that oftentimes when an individual is scourged before being crucified, the scourging is often sufficient to drive the life out of the person. So we can only imagine how much this lamb suffered before he went to the cross. But in all of his suffering, he went to the cross as a lamb without spot or blemish and not a bone was broken so at the end of the day the question that Matthew asks each of us you heard Jesus on Friday on trial, according to Matthew, declare his kingship. And Matthew doesn't record another word out of the mouth of Jesus until he's on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How did Jesus secure his kingship? By having himself hung on the cross. 
Because you see, it's as he went to that cross and took that wrath for you and for me, he demonstrated that he indeed is the king. And that the kingdom that he was establishing was not a kingdom that was to be established by the might of man. But the kingdom that he was establishing was established by the death of the Son of Man who loved us and gave himself for us. So that he would conquer the kingdom of darkness. So that he would conquer the the devil's kingdom and he would be able to plunder the devil's kingdom. And the gates of hell would not prevail against the gospel as it goes into the darkness. Spoken by ambassadors for Christ. We're going to talk about testimony sharing. Ambassadors for Christ. For King Jesus. Who on the third day rose from the grave. And now sits at the right hand of the Father. Mediating for the sake of the church. So yes, the question this morning is, by the grace of God, are you truly able to say, Jesus is Lord, and he rose from the grave on the third day? And you see, it's that confession of faith that the Holy Spirit grants us, that that faith of Abraham, that enables us to understand and appreciate what was for the sake of envy was truly for the sake of our salvation. And as we know that Jesus and make that credible profession of faith, we come to the table. We come to the table as those who have enjoyed the power of the keys being exercised in our behalf by making that profession of faith before the overseers of the church, the elders, and able to take the covenant of communicant membership here or in a Nate Park congregation or having visited with a session in the Reformed Presbyterian Church and being welcomed because you're able to testify to the fact that you've been baptized and are a member of a true branch of Christ's church. And so we come to the table as a people who understand the body of Christ aright, not only what he has done in his body being given for us on the cross, but in the body of Christ with whom we have that common faith and demonstrate before a watching world that Christ came because of the love that we have one for another.